All right. Hello, folks. Good evening. Glad to come your way again. Tonight, we want to continue our journey on the book of Romans, and we are on part 11, and we are looking at chapter 8. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your word. We pray that the spirit of the instructor will be in the house. I pray that I I minister your word with precision, exactitude, and accuracy. I ask that may your word also be written on the tables of the hearts of your people tonight, O Lord. I pray that may we run with this word that we will hear tonight. And most importantly, may we be inspired to have a deeper fellowship and communion with your spirit after tonight's teaching. Amen. Like you all rightly said, last week we looked at Paul's treatise on sin. That's in chapter 7. And like I said, chapter 7 is a continuation of chapter 6. And for you to really get the whole gist of chapter 7, you have to start reading from verse 14 of chapter 6. Um, Paul says that we are no longer under the law. Why? Because when we are under the law, sin will have dominion over us. Now, when we are talking about the law, we are talking about the law technically from Exodus chapter 20 to the whole book of Deuteronomy. That is the law. In all, there were 613 laws. And we came to realize that the law is perfect but the law could not save us. The law could not redeem us. The law could not make us righteous. We always fell short. We couldn't keep the law. And we read Galatians chapter 2, which explained the reason why the law came. The law was given because of transgressions. It wasn't given to make us holy. It wasn't given to justify us. But it came to point us to a savior. And then we read the, the ending of, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 3, not chapter 2. I don't know why I always say chapter 2, chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, the ending of chapter 3 says that, now that faith has come, you are no longer under a tutor. So the law was a tutor. And we also realized that when the law came, it also worked in us all manner of this King James word, concupiscence to sin. That means it worked in all manner of desiring us to sin. You see, what the Lord did was that it told us envy is not good, but it didn't tell us how to overcome envy. It told us murder is not good, but it didn't have power in that to give us the ability to stop the vice or the sin. So the, the, law, the law sort of became like a tease. It's just like dangling a carrot in front of a rabbit, knowing that the rabbit will never get it. The law was God's high standard of perfection. And like we said last week, there was nothing wrong with the law. The law was perfect. But the law was weak in a sense that man didn't have an ability to keep the law. And for this reason, Jesus Christ came. And we learned that he came and he paid a price with his body that the righteous requirements of the law will be fulfilled so that you and I can be called righteous and we can be justified. So why are we justified? We are not justified by the law. We are justified on the basis of believing that Jesus Christ has come to put to end the law that we through him can call ourselves the righteousness of God. 
and we can also call ourselves justified. Amen. Now, because of Christ's death, we, we establish the fact that we are justified. And not understanding the place and purpose of Christ's death puts us in a never-ending cycle of sin's bondage. So that's the whole you know, premise of chapter 7. And we looked at many limitations of the law, which I've already established one, that it produced us a desire to sin. Especially when you read chapter 7, verses 10 to 11. It talked about that. Then now Paul then ended on a personal example of how he couldn't do the good he wanted to do because of the law's reign, which kept him in sin's dominion. So we have to realize that for us to overcome sin, we have to understand that we are under grace, not under the law. And when you are under the law, under the law simply means that you are trying to work, do things, put a lot of effort without the grace of God. You will always be in a never-ending cycle of sin and then sin will have dominion over you. But thank God that when you read Romans chapter 7, it has a better ending. It didn't just end there. Paul said, oh, wretched man, who delivered me from this body of death? It didn't end there. He said, but I thank God that through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the cure or he's the final solution is the death knell to the ending of sin. And as Christians, we, we can have hope in that. And Paul said something very important. He says, with my mind, I will serve the law of God. With my body, the flesh of sin. So it makes us understand that if you really want to experience overcoming or conquering sin, you will have to come to a place where you have experienced transformation. And the center of transformation is a renewed mind. So, Jesus Christ is the death knell to sin. But as believers, like I said last week, it's, it's incumbent upon us that we take the word of God to read. When we read the word of God, we will renew our mind. So when you're a Christian, you either have a conformed mind or a renewed mind. And the center of transformation is in a renewed mind. And do not be conformed to well, but be, re- be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The more we take the Bible to read, the more we are putting into effect the process of transformation. And it will take a transformed believer to overcome sin. So Jesus has paid the penalty to sin that we are no longer under the dominion of sin. But it's imperative that as believers, we also take the word of God to read so that we will be able to renew our mind, which will bring a transformation. Amen. Many a times, most believers struggle with sin because we are conformed believers. We are not transformed believers. You see, you are either doing two things in your present Christian experience. You are either conforming or you are transforming. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So you can be conformed to this world, the world's way of doing things, the world's system, the world's governance, or you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by knowing what the Bible declares. So that's how we'll be able to overcome sin. And we talked about that last week. And last week, I really talked about 
um, the tripartite makeup of man. Man is a spirit with a soul and lives in a body. So I, I did explain a lot last week. If I try and go into all this, time will even feel less to cover today's lesson. So I advise you to listen to the message to refresh your memory. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 4. Today we're on chapter 8. I read. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. But what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the Lord might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So, in verse 1, Paul puts an exclamation point on what he was saying in chapter 7. You know, chapter 7, he closes it out by saying, Christ has put a death knell to the end of sin. Christ has put a death knell to sin, having dominion and having reign over us. And it's also important for us to renew our mind so that with our mind, we will serve the law of God, which is also known as the word of God. It is at this point that condemnation will cease to have an effect on us. Then he starts, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So you see, Paul is just buttressing all that he said in the last few verses of chapter 7. He is he's trying to bring the point home in verse 1 of chapter 8. You see, <clears throat> condemnation ceases, one, when you are in Christ Jesus, and number two, when you walk according to the Spirit. Real liberty in Christianity is devoid of condemnation. You can't tell me you have experienced liberation, total deliverance, when you are still walking in condemnation. And we find out one of the reasons why people walk in condemnation is one, they may not have understood the in Christ realities. And secondly, they may also be walking after the flesh. And in our study today, we will realize that there is no good in walking in the flesh. In fact, when you look at this word condemnation here, it means damnatory sentence. You know, there is a sentence on you. There is a, a, a damnatory sentence. I, I mean, the, the, the damnatory sentence here is death penalty, which is still legal in some states, right? You know, that's the damnatory sentence of it all, or life imprisonment. The, the, the Bible lets us know that when we desire to walk after the flesh and not according to the Spirit, we experience something worse than that. And, and what is that? That is separation from God. 
That is, we will not partake of the resurrection. It's worse than life imprisonment. It's worse than dying by the electric chair or by lethal injection. So there is a damnatory sentence. And this scripture should let us thank God for Jesus because it lets us know that we were on our way to hell. Express routes. We were on the express routes, straight on the train, straight to hell, but Christ. So when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, condemnation should cease. And now make the necessary efforts, put the steps in place as a Christian to walk according to the Spirit that you will not experience the lingering effects of condemnation. Because it is sad to say that there are some Christians who, you know, they are Christians, they come to church and everything, but they still walk under a heavy cloud of condemnation. This is the secret. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in crisis. Do you believe you are in Christ? Do you understand what it means to be in Christ? Number two, are you walking according to the Spirit? That's why last week it was so important for us to talk about if you want to experience victory over sin, you have to be a transformed vessel. A conformed vessel will be in a never-ending cycle of sin. And sin will have dominion over him or her. And when that happens, condemnation comes in real easy. But I pray that tonight, may tonight be our last night of condemnation. May we not experience condemnation again because we have desired to walk after the spirits and not after the flesh. A major sign of condemnation is also fear. And fear stems from sin. That's why the, the, the past Sunday, I really enjoyed the message. I would advise you to listen. And where does the strength of sin come from? The strength of sin is derived from the law. We did that in Romans. Amen. The Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6. And it is through that we experience condemnation. Amen. So now let's look at verse 2. I want to read verse 2 in two different versions to make my point clear. So I'm going to read verse 2 in New Living Translation and another translation called Easy Translation. I, I, I have tend to like Easy Translation a lot now. So let me read verse 2 in two different versions. Because verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What's the meaning of that? Let's look at two different versions too unpack that and because you belong to him the power of the life-given spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death so the power of the life-given spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death now i'm reading the next version it's called easy translation if you belong to christ jesus God's Spirit has given you a new life. God's Spirit now rules in your life and He has made you free. Sin and death no longer have authority over you. So what is verse 2 telling us? We have been made free from the law of sin and death. 
We have been made free from the penalty of sin, from the influence of sin, from the captivity of death over our soul and our spirits. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. So that phrase for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? By the avenue of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this Christian experience without the help of the Holy Spirit. So it's very important, like I said last week, it is very important for every New Testament Christian to understand the place, the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because much of our Christian existence, much of our spiritual growth is premised upon a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you three truths on the Holy Spirit. But before that, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is more than a life force. The Holy Spirit is more than an experience. The Holy Spirit is more than a presence. The Holy Spirit is God. You heard me? The Holy Spirit is God. Now, three truths. The Holy Spirit is God. That's the first one. Two, he shares in the attributes of God. And number three, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So when we talk about the Trinity, we are talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's God manifesting himself in three persons. Not three moods or three forms. God in three persons. I like that song, Blessed Trinity. So it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God. So he's not just a presence. He's not just a feeling. He's not just an experience. Because sometimes we reduce the Holy Spirit to all these things. We reduce him to power. We reduce him to a life force. We reduce him to an experience. We even reduce him to chill bumps. But the Holy Spirit is more than that. The Holy Spirit is God. Let me show you a typical example. Acts. The scripture just came. Acts chapter 6. Now, this was Ananias and Sapphira, or Sapphira, however you pronounce it. So, let me start from chapter 1. But as verse 1 of chapter 5, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. You can just write it down and then just listen. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept, he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife, also being aware of it, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostasy. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? You see? So... Ananias sold the land out of his own volition. He decided to bring the money to the church, but he lied about the amounts. And Peter is questioning him, why do you lie to the Holy Spirit? And then what happened? The Bible lets us know that he just died. When he heard this words, the Bible says he fell down, breathed his laughs. And then the young men went and buried him. Wow. This is a strange church service. There's a church service where they have burial departments. (laughs) 
the guy just died and they went to bury him just straight away. They just went to bury him. I don't know whether there was a, a, a graveyard in the church or there was a cemetery. I don't know. Now, verse 7. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in. I'm always wondering, what sort of service is this? This service was very long. Three hours later, they were still having a service. If you come to ICC, three hours later, we have already closed, locked the door, shared the grace, we are gone. But anyway, three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the lamb for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And she also died. Now, look at verse 4 carefully. While it remained, was it not your own? And while it was own, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So you see the word play here? So Apostle Peter says that you have not lied to me, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. In verse 3. Then verse 4, he says that you have not lied to me, you have lied to God. Do you understand? So, the Holy Spirit is God, and God is the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? So, that's one thing you have to understand about who the Holy Spirit is. So, the Holy Spirit is different from a force. He is God. He shares in the attributes of God. What, what are the attributes of God? He's omnipresent. Omnipresent means he's all present. These are exclusive titles of God. God is present everywhere at the same time. The Holy Spirit is. He's omnipotent. That's all powerful. The Holy Spirit is also all powerful. And he's omniscient. Omni all shines. It comes from the word science, which means knowing. So, the Holy Spirit is also all-knowing. That is why he reveals to us all truth. He shares in the same attributes of God, and he is the third person of the Trinity. Now, in verses 3 to 4, for the Holy Spirit's dispensation to dawn on us, that we will know more about the Holy Spirit. Now, when I'm talking about dispensation, I'm talking about an era, an age, a period, where the Holy Spirit had to manifest himself and his ministry. And we are in that dispensation. It started from Acts chapter 2 till present. We are in the ministry, the era, the period of the Holy Spirit. Now, for us to experience that, God did something that the Lord couldn't do. And that's what verses 3 to 4 let us know. God sent Christ to come and die so that we can become righteous. And in addition, receive the Holy Spirit. So, thank God for grace. Is it? That's why we had to be delivered from the law. Because if we were going to be shut in and kept under the law, we would have never experienced the ministry, the era, the age of the Holy Spirit. For that to happen, God had to send his son. He had to come in the form of a human, die, so that the Bible says that the righteous requirement of the law will be fulfilled that we will be called righteous and then we will be justified. And due to that, we have now received 
the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in unrighteous vessels. The Holy Spirit dwells in righteous vessels. The Holy Spirit dwells in clean vessels. And that's why Christ had to die. So that the Holy Spirit could come and dwell in us. Now, look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So, verse 5 poses two questions. When I read verse 5, I see two important questions here. Number one, what does it mean to walk according to the flesh? And number two, what does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? Because it says here, for those who live according to the flesh, and then the latter part of verse 5, but those who live according to the Spirit. So, what does it mean to live according to the flesh? Flesh here refers to earthly nature. Earthly nature. Your human nature. So, when we are believers, we are not supposed to live according to our human nature. That's the flesh. That's why when you are a Christian, resign from certain confessions. I am like my father or my mother. My grandfather got divorced. My father got divorced. His brothers got divorced. And now I'm married, so I'm also going to get divorced. So when you're a Christian, quit talking like that. Because the Bible lets us know that for those who live according to their human nature, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. You see a Christian lady. She said, my grandmother beat her husband. My mother beat her husband. My sisters beat their husbands and I also beat my husband. It's a, it's a character trait. Well, if you're a Christian, the Bible says that do not live according to your earthly nature. So yeah, that might be your earthly nature, but that shouldn't inform how you should live. Temperaments. So when you're talking about living by your human nature, we are talking about traits that you inherited from your father or your mother, either good or negative. We don't live according to our human nature. It's called living according to the flesh. Number two, temperaments. You also live by temperaments. You know, there are different kinds of temperaments. They said there is the phlegmatic, melancholy, choleric, and then sanguine. In as much as there are good parts of these temperaments, there are also bad parts to it. For example, if you are phlegmatic, you easily forgive, you have emotional intelligence, but you are very slow. Very, very slow. Slow thoughts. A phlegmatic's favorite word is tomorrow. It never gets done. If you are sanguine, you know how to dress. You dress very nice. Fashion people, anybody who is very fashionable is a sanguine. Loud colors, they know how to dress. They wear a lot of psychedelic colors and all that thing. But they don't like responsibility. No responsibility. So can, are you going to live by your temperament? What about if you are choleric? They say if you are choleric, you are... You are an SNL, strong natural leader. But cholerics, they don't, their, their marriages don't last because they don't know how to talk. Sharp words, sharp. If I, Proverbs even describes a choleric. 
Their words are like wormwood. Their teeth is sharp. Very choleric. And if you marry and if you are going to be talking to people like children and you don't know how to, you are, you are not going to stay married for long. And what about melancholy? The OCD. So that's people, when you go to their house, you just know they are melancholy because everything is arranged straight, 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 straight. You know, they're melancholy. Ugly, very organized, but they also hardly forgive. So normally they say cholerics and melancholy, their marriages, they struggle to work. So what I'm trying to say is that if you live according to your human nature, look at all the mistakes and the weaknesses. We can't live by that. And neither can we also live by astrology, stars. I can't understand for the life of God why a Christian will memorize stars. I'm a, I'm a Sagittarius, I'm a Gemini, I'm a Leo, I'm a Capricorn. When we do that, the Bible lets us know we are walking according to the flesh. We are living according to our human nature. And when we do that, the Bible lets us know that we set our mind on the things of the flesh. Now, what does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? Spirit here refers to the nature of the Spirit. So that's who we are supposed to walk. We are supposed to walk according to the nature of the Spirit. And a typical example is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you walk according to the nature of the Spirit, these are, I don't want to use the word fruits because it's not S, but this is, this is the resultant effect of letting the Holy Spirit's influence permeates your life love joy peace long-suffering kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control we shouldn't put christ's death to waste christ died so that we can experience the dispensation the age the ministry of the holy spirit so that the holy spirit can form shape christ's character in our lives can give us gifts so that we can walk in the fullness and in the operation of the anointing and the power of God influencing people. I'm telling you, it, it, it is too costly for me to say, I will walk like my father, walk like my mother, walk like the house I come from. I'm called Euphoria baby. I don't want to walk like an Euphoria baby. I want to walk like Christ. It doesn't mean I don't respect my parents. I respect my parents, love my parents. I'll be there for them. I bless God for them. But when it comes to living a higher calling, I have to live according to the Spirit. And the Bible says that when you live by the nature of the Spirit, you mind the things of the Spirit. So in verse 5, how you walk determines where your mind is. If you walk according to the flesh, you set your mind on things of the flesh. If you walk according to the Spirit, you set your mind on things of the Spirit. I don't want to be a choleric, sanguine, melancholy, phlegmatic. I'm not interested in astrology. I, I don't want to even be like my father. What about my father's weak parts? What about his bad sides? I don't want to be like my mother. What about her bad sides? I don't want to be like the family that I come from. I want to be like 
God. The Bible says that be imitators of God as dear children. That should be our standard as Christians. And that's why I like First Peter. The Bible says that we have been delivered from the conduct that we receive by tradition from our fathers, by the precious blood of Jesus. You see, Christ has shed his blood. He has paid so much a price that we, we can't live below the bar and not live by the Spirit. And Christ has made it possible for us to live by the Spirit because he died so that the Holy Spirit will take residence in us and the Holy Spirit will be responsible for shaping and forming us to be exactly like Christ. Verse 6 says something. It says that for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We can't afford to live according to our human nature because when we do that, the end result is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And death here means separation from God. So as a Christian, you can't afford to live by your human nature you can't afford to live by your, your weaknesses of your human nature. Strive by the Holy Spirit to live like the new creation that God has destined for you. Because the end result of that is life and peace. And life here is zoe, which means resurrection. And peace, peace here refers to tranquility of the soul. There is profit when we decide to live by the Spirit and become spiritually minded. And that can only happen through the avenue of the Word and we also fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit as we read on. Now, let's look at verse 7 and 8. Look at the canal mind in the next two verses. Because the canal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, the reason why Paul is speaking through the Spirit to us, not wanting us to be carnally minded, is because the carnal mind is in hostile opposition to God. You see, enmity here, you know, sometimes the English doesn't do justice to the, the, the tense, the, the, the words, that, that, you know, because the, 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 the Bible that we are reading now, the language, it's a secondary language, right? This was written in Greek. If you look at the Greek meaning of this word, enmity, it means the carnal mind is in hostile opposition, like they completely hate each other, completely at odds, completely at odds. So I mean, it's not just like enemy, it's, it's, it's stronger than the word enemy. But the English word that we can use, the, the closest that we can use is enmity. But it's, it's bigger than that. It's an hostile opposition. You know, living according to your human nature is an affront to God. Because that mindset is in opposition to God's word. And verse 8 further out admonishes us, we can't please God when we are in the flesh. So... Receiving Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, that's not it. We have to come to a place of constant sanctification. What's the meaning of sanctification? Set apart. What does it mean to set yourself apart? 
Set apart means I'm not going to behave like how the world behaves. I'm not going to talk like how the world talks. I'm not going to fashion my conduct, my lifestyle according to the way the world fashions. But I'm going to do things in line and in consonance with the word of God. And I'm going to let the word of God become my new normal. And the word will become my paradigm. That's what it means to work by the Spirit. Amen. Verses 9 to 11. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. I'm sorry. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, when we continue the the scriptures along, Paul is exhorting us as believers through the scripture that we are in the Spirit. And because we are in the Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells in us. So what does it mean to be in the Spirit? I normally hear this, I'm in the Spirit. Paul answers it very easily here. What it means to be in the Spirit means you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. End of story. Sometimes when we talk about, oh, I'm in the Spirit, we think something spooky. However, sometimes you can see some people who are very pious and so sanctimonious and quiet. I'm in the Spirit. That's not you are in the Spirit. Being in the Spirit means the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Did we all, did we all read the scripture? Can, can I read it again for you? But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Did you see it? Verse 9. So what does it mean, I am in the Spirit? I am in the Spirit means the Spirit of God dwells in me. End of story. So don't believe traditions and fables. Because I'm in the Spirit. No, you are in the Spirit means the Spirit of God dwells in me. That's all. There is no activity that presupposes I am in the Spirit than the experience I have I have encountered when I became born again. And when I became born again, and when I received Christ as my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit dwelt on the inside of me. So I am in the Spirit. I am not in the Spirit because I'm sanctimonious. I'm not in the Spirit because I'm pious. I'm not in the Spirit because I'm quiet or doing something. No, I am in the Spirit because the Spirit dwells in me. Do you understand? So Paul is exalting us that we are in the Spirit because the Spirit of God dwells in us indeed. And for this reason, we should not act fleshly as though we are in the flesh. So, you know, I was thinking about this that I think when God places you as a pastor over a church, you have to emphasize so much on new creation realities so that the people will understand Christ lives in me. I live in Christ. I have the Holy Spirit in me. 
the Holy Spirit dwells in me, we have to be cognizant of this truth over. It has to encircle our thoughts. It has to become a stronghold. Because if, if it doesn't come to that, we will not be able to live life according to the Spirit. And we will find it difficult overcoming sin. Well, this is a truth that really needs to be spoken frequently. Now, is this the first time we are reading this in Romans? Haven't you read this in different chapters of Romans? We are in chapter 8. We've read this in different chapters, but Paul is emphasizing this truth over and over again. We should not act fleshly as though we are in the flesh. Now, from verse 10, how do you know you are Christ's? We read it. It says, because of the spirit that dwells in us. So we are Christ's. We are Christ's. Because the spirit of God dwells in us. Now, know this in verse 11. There are three quick points I want you to know in verse 11. You have eternal life dwelling in you. The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is also a life-giving source. You don't define him by that. But he's a life-giving source. And what life does the Holy Spirit give? Is it physical longevity of days on this earth? No. We are talking about the resurrection life. You know, in the New Testament, whenever you read life, it normally uses the Greek word zoe. In the Old Testament, whenever you read the word life, it normally refers to living long on this earth. Okay, so try and note the differences between the two. So when we have the Holy Spirit, we have life eternal dwelling in us, which means that we will be a partaker of the resurrection. Number two, the second part I want you to know, the same Spirit raise Christ from the dead. That is what dwells in you. How did Christ rise from the dead? He was raised from the dead by the agency of the power of the life-giving Spirit who is the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of the Lord. You see, what raised Christ from the dead is residence in your inner man. Number three, though our bodies will die because of sin, the Holy Spirit will quicken our mortal bodies again. And when will our mortal bodies be quickened? It will be quickened at the end of this age so that we can receive glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Amen. So the Spirit doesn't just empower us to live right and acceptable before God. The Spirit of God also welcomes us into a new era after the end of this age by quickening our mortal bodies. And that's good news. And that is why it is prophets to live by the Spirit. Never sorrow hopelessly. You know, because of this truth, never sorrow hopelessly for the death of a believer. His or her end is very glorious. Because he will wake up again. As much as we will miss their physical shell 
their physical presence. Don't sorrow hopelessly for the death of a believer. Here's how I end this very glorious. We will see them again. Do you know why? Because the spirit of Christ dwells in them and it will quicken their mortal bodies on the day of resurrection. And we will see them again. Amen. Now let's wrap up tonight with these few verses. Verses 12 to 17. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified. In light of all these, we have an obligation to live after the spirits, not after the flesh. That's the concluding part of Paul's message. Just one part of the, the first half of chapter 8. For the end of living after the flesh is death. So as a Christian, commune with the Holy Spirit, fellowship with the Holy Spirit through the word of God, through prayer, through worship, correspond with the Holy Spirit so that you will live after the Spirit because there is profit at the end of it. The latter part of verse 13 gives us a very powerful secret to overcoming sin. And I, I said it last week. Living by the Spirit. It is by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Verse 13 says so. If you live by the Spirit, you put to deeds the death of the flesh. So you don't put to death the deeds of the flesh by willpower. Willpower is good. We should encourage it. You don't put to death the deeds of the flesh by self-discipline. Self-discipline is good. It's, it's a virtue. You don't put to death the deeds of the flesh by resolution. It's good to have a resolve. But where would all these things get you without the presence of the Holy Spirit? So if we have any addiction, if we have any sin that we are struggling with, let us learn to live by the Spirit because it is through the Spirit's enabling that we will be able to have power to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Amen. And now, when you look at that word put to death, it has an interesting word, mortify. And mortify is where you get the word mog. So it doesn't just mean to crucify it. It means to crucify it, kill it, and then put it in the mortuary. That's what it means. So we can only do that. We can mortify, kill that desire, kill that sin, and put it in the mug with the white sheets on it, put it in the mug. It's done. It has to be buried. We can only do that by the Spirit's enabling. Remember this. You can never ever overcome sin by your will. You will need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. You will need Christ 
who has paid the sins of this world by laying his body on the cross, you will need to transform your mind or renew your mind, I'm sorry, which shows that you have experienced a transformation and you will need the ability of the Holy Spirit. You see, all these things are needed to us to really live an overcoming life in regards to dealing with sin. So understand Christ has paid a price. He's paid a price. Understand that you are in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation. Therefore, I will walk according to the Spirit and not after the flesh. Understand, it is your responsibility to renew your mind with the Word of God. Because if you are not renewing your mind, you will not experience transformation. And if you are not experiencing transformation, you are conforming. No conformed vessel can overcome sin. And then recognize the place, the presence, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives who will give us the enablement and the empowerment to live a life truly acceptable before God. Do you all understand tonight? Now, the Bible lets us know that we are sons of God because we are led by the Spirit. And when you aren't led by the Spirit, you walk in fear as a result of the spirit of bondage. And, and this past Sunday, Pastor Jessica did a great job tackling fear. One sign or one reason why people walk in fear is because they aren't fostering that communion and that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because once the Holy Spirit leads you, once you, you experience that relationship, that deeper relationship, that rich experience with the Holy Spirit, fear leaves. So if, if a Christian is still struggling with fear, it's, it's possible he's not living by the Spirit. And suffice me to say, if he's not living by the Spirit, it means he is not fostering fellowship and communion with the Holy Spirit, who is God. So the Holy Spirit assures us of sonship. That is why we cry, Abba, Father. It's, it's an endearing term. You can only know God as a father by the Holy Spirit because he will give you the assurance of sonship to be able to see God, not just as a creator, not just as Lord, but as father. There is one ministry that we have to talk about the Holy Spirit here in closing. The Holy Spirit is an advocate. When you read John chapter 16, verse 7, it says, I will send you an advocate. And what does an advocate do? An advocate bears witness to the truth. That's what an advocate does. So the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit to three important truths that we should note. He bears witness with our spirit to the truth that we are children of God. So when you have a relation with the Holy Spirit, one of the truths that will be ingrained in your spirit is that I'm a child of God. The second truth, you are an heir of God. Do you know why you are an heir of God? Because you have the Holy Spirit. That's why you are an heir of God. How do you know I'm an heir of God? I'm an heir of God because I have the Holy Spirit 
dwelling in me and the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit living in me, he is the guarantee or the deposit that one day I will be purchased. And my, 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 my purchase will be in full at the end of this age when I partake of the resurrection. So the Holy Spirit is sent as a guarantee for that. I am an heir of God. That's why I have the Holy Spirit as a deposit or a guarantee. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14. And we are joint heirs with Christ. Why are we joint heirs with Christ? It means the experiences of Christ also becomes our experience. And that's why it ends that if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Living for Christ, there is an element of suffering in it. And if Christ suffered, we will also suffer. Straight up. But because Christ is also glorified, we shall also be glorified. We are joint heirs with Christ. His experience becomes our experience. He paid the ultimate price of discipleship. We will also pay that price of discipleship and follow after him. His experience becomes our experience. So we are joint heirs with Christ. That's why when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we died because he died. He was raised up from the dead on the third day. We were also raised up that we will walk in the newness of life afforded to us by the Holy Spirit. When Christ died for our sins, we also died to sin. Symbolism of Christ dying for our sin. So his experience becomes our experience. So in the first 17 verses of chapter 8, we have learned about the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. We have learned his influence in the new creation. And so much has been said. He helps us to live holy. He empowers us to overcome sin. And not just that, he also plays a very key role at the end of this age. He will quicken our mortal bodies that indeed will be a partaker of the resurrection. I pray that may we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit as we hear this message. Because you forfeit a rich Christian experience and spiritual growth without him. God willing, we'll pick up from verse 18 next two weeks. Because next week will be our fasting and prayer week. Amen. So, and on this, God bless you. And I'll open the floor for questions or contributions. It's 8.02. I think that's the first time this year I have thought till it's past eight. But let's open the floor for any question, any contribution before we wrap up tonight's session. God bless you.
the way I understand, thumbs up. Only one thumbs up. Okay. Do we have any questions? All right, can one person just what what did you learn today? Don't even bother summing up. Just what did you learn? What touched your heart? What ministered to you? What did you take home? One person. Uh, I can start it. Uh, I just, uh, I liked how you've explained um, uh, we should have Christ's character and um, the Holy Spirit uh, lives in us so we are always in the Spirit. So I really like that. And I think it's just a matter of recognizing the spirit in our lives so that we could follow after him every day. Amen. All right. Why don't we thank God for today? Let's just thank him. Thank him for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not out of reach. If you have received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, the Holy Spirit is not out of reach. He is closer to you than a friend, than a brother. He's close and he desires fellowship. The Holy Spirit's yearning is fellowship. He doesn't want to be a mystery. He wants to reveal Jesus to you. He wants the mystery of God as a creator or as an abstracting to disappear so that you can see God as a father. The Holy Spirit will reveal himself to you if only you are going to painstakingly make time through reading the word, through prayer. You will experience a different dimension and you will experience a rich Christian experience and you will experience spiritual growth. So let's thank God for the Holy Spirit. Let's just thank him. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. May we walk after the spirits. May we be spiritually minded. May we not be carnally minded. And as we hear this message, let every sinful habit, addiction, long-standing problems, may they drop off as we hear this message. May we experience deliverance. May our day of deliverance be today in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We will no longer be prisoners of hope, dreaming of anticipated freedom. But we declare that freedom is nigh. It is now. And for this reason, we want to say thank you. Help us to draw close to you, O Lord. We give you praise for today, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Quick prayer. Monday was Minister Lily's birthday. We thank God for her life. We also thank God for adding another year to her years. And as a church, I just want us to pray birthday blessings upon her. Let's just do that. Father, thank you. Bless you for Minister Lily's birthday. Thank you for adding another year to her years. Bless you, O oh Lord. Thank you. We pray that may she enter into a season of rest 
a season of fulfillment, a season of joy because she received answers to her prayers. Thank you, Lord. Give you praise for tonight. Give you praise for her life too. We give you praise for tonight's teaching. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I commonly into your hands. I pray that answer her immediate need, her immediate prayer request. I thank you for victory. I thank you for a song you've put in her mouth. I thank you for a testimony that you've laced on her tongue. And I pray that as she has entered a new season, extend to her the kind courtesies of who you are. I pray that may she be above and not beneath. And I thank you that may she grow more and more in the image and in the likeness of you. May her influence extend like never before. And I thank you for great people that you will bring in her life, destiny helpers who will help her to achieve every assignment you have intended for her life. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, we also want to thank you for tonight's teaching. And Father, as we are living, we make this resolution that we will live after the Spirit and we will be spiritually minded that life and peace will be our portion. We commit the rest of the week into your hands. May our week be a week of blessing. When we meet again, may we say of a truth that among the gods, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise. May we say that because the Holy Spirit has made us know you personally. We thank you that you will not be abstract to us. We thank you that because of the Holy Spirit, we will love the word and the word will not become mysterious to us. We thank you that things of the Spirit will become as clear as day, as plain as light. Thank you for fellowship with the Holy Spirit that we will embark upon. We give you praise now and forever for what we have heard and the steps with which we will take to apply what we have heard tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for giving me 10 minutes of your time. God bless you. Good night, guys. Good night. Night.